The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Arturia, Avid, Source Elements, and RSBE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Ashia, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Russ Hughes and Paul Maunder. Um, We're going to be discussing the steps to consider in order to start making a living in today's audio industry. Um, This is actually a request from one of our listeners, um, and it's an important question that plays on a lot of aspiring audio professionals' minds. So hopefully we can give some insight or at least share our experiences uh, with this. So firstly, let's go around and um, share which branch of the audio industry we work in and how long we've been doing this professionally. Um, And then we can go from there. So Russ, do you want to uh, start off? Yeah, so most of my work these days is, and I think Paul's probably going to be very similar, is is making uh, videos. So... They are product videos mainly for clients. And so they would all interview videos and they would be uh, shot uh, by a film crew and then we do audio to it afterwards and cut them up. And, and yeah, the kind of thing you'd see, product videos or, or interviews and stuff like that. So, And I've been doing that since about my, my agency's been running since about 2010. So about 14 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite a while. Um, Paul, what about you? Um, yeah, I do some of that type of thing as well. Um, but in addition to that, I also do uh, audio posts for film. So quite regularly, I'm working on short films and uh, the occasional full feature, but coupled with that, quite a lot of corporate video work. And uh, it's a combination of the audio post, but in the last few years, I also got into the editing side of it and the filming side. So kind of everything from shooting to finishing the mix, really. Nice, nice. Um, And so I mostly work with sort of pop music, uh, working with um, sort of uh, up and coming artists, that sort of thing, Um, music production, music mixing. Um, I started off as a songwriter around about 2012, 13. And then I got into music production. um, And that I've been doing this professionally uh, for about four or five years now. So um, not terribly long, but... um, but you're yeah. past the danger stage. You're past the. We, we we might get into this later. If you can make a business, most businesses. This this is an interesting statistic to put in very early on in this conversation. Mm. That most small businesses fail within the first two years. I mean, it's a huge number. I've heard it, that statistic. Seventy or eighty percent. Mm. Uh, so if you're established five years in, then you're probably okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's, yeah. um, and did, did, just out of interest, did, did you go straight to being freelance? And this is probably, again, a topic... I think it's we'll one of the questions for us today, Well, isn't this it? actually is one of the questions, yeah, which is very important. Let's start with that. So um, let's start with Ross, just to keep things organised. Um, what, what was your first pro gig and how did it come about? I can't remember because I've, I've morphed over the years. So I've been d- d- doing like creating con like working in the i worked in the music industry in the 80s uh and then uh, i was working as a musician and a songwriter uh through the through the 90s and 2000s as well then i worked in post houses for a bit but talking about now where i i I came to the decision you know what i'm going to do this on my own uh i did it bit by bit and that would be my recommendation. Uh, we kind of we kind of jumped the gun a bit here. And we, but let me. T- but, uh, uh, it's okay us asking this question now. But I'll tell you what often gets missed in this thinking process is the first. I think that if this is down to a listener question, the first thing that person has to do 
is calculate how much they need to make every month. Uh, minimum, not their yeah. wish number, but like what's the what's the lowest number you need to pull in every month to to make a living from this. And let's say, for example, it's it's I'm going to use an easy number because it's easy to do the math. Let's yeah. say it's forty eight thousand dollars a year or or forty eight thousand pounds. I'm just using plucking that number out of the air because mm -hmm. I can divide it. That's four thousand pounds a month. That's a thousand pounds a week. That's don't forget that's income. That's not turnover. And this is where the big mistake often gets made because there's going to be costs to your business. You might have to rent a place, pay electric, yeah. pay yeah. your taxes, all those kind of things. And so you have to do that sum first before Absolutely. you can decide whether you can. A lot of people, if you've read my book, and a lot of people are accidental business people. They kind of start doing mixing a bit and then end up running a business and didn't do any of that kind of background work and then wonder why they get in trouble. I'm not saying that as a criticism or to condescend people, but it's just a simple fact of life. A lot yeah. of us end up, a lot of plugin developers end up that way. I know people who've got 20 staff now and five years ago, they just woke up one day with a good idea. They didn't realise they were going to start running a business with all, all the stuff. A lot of us don't go into this industry to to be business people, entrepreneurs, yeah. that sort of thing. We go in because we have a passion for music and then it turns out that we end up yeah. becoming freelancers and having to take care of the uh, the business side of things. And not everybody is is, is, is able to be self-employed. Some people just aren't wired that way. My wife, she's incredibly gifted. She's smarter than me, but she would never be self-employed. It's just not her way. Does she find it too stressful? Yeah, it's a lot of things. It's the stress, it's it's the and all that kind of stuff. But coming back to your original question, so what I did, I basically built up turnover while I was doing another job. For, for, for probably two, at least two years, I was doing eighty hours a week, which was forty hours of a real job and forty hours of my other of trying to get my business off the ground, so that I could get into a place where I was making money. I got to a point where I had to choose one or the other, and financially, then the choice wasn't hard because I was now in a position where I could do it. So the idea. You know, some people give up their job and next day they say, I'm going to go self-employed. I would never recommend that. No, I think that is honestly say. a very, very bad idea. And yeah, it's very it's unlikely insanity. that you'd... And yeah. It's, I, uh, yeah, and I was, I was in a meeting yesterday where somebody came out with the line, you can do, any, you can do anything as long as you believe. That's not true. That's, that's <laughs> just the kind of... That's the bullshit you read on those silly posters with uh, you know, somebody standing on top of it. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's like, I can't walk to the moon, however much I believe I could. And it's the same... So this is, um, I don't know what this person expected from this today, but mine is the nuts and bolts, facts of life. This is bloody hard. Running a business is mm. bloody hard because mm -hmm. you're only as good as your last job and nothing's guaranteed. Uh, I know jobs aren't really, to be honest, that's the only bit I would say these days. You're no more certain of having an income next year with a, with a paid job as you are with self-employment. So if you're going to choose one, choose self-employment. But with self-employment, you have to keep finding work and you yeah. have to keep doing a great job. And it's uh, something that you need to build up having a day job and not having, because if, if you have additional pressure of money and you, you feel desperate like that, it's going to make everything 10 times worse as well. Yeah, That's the thing. It is because you take the shit jobs and the shit jobs are no good because those are the kind of jobs where you think, I'm going to take this. This is another £500 I'm going to make this week. And actually, that's not enough. So my very long answer to the question is I, I, I did two jobs at the same time until I had to, I, I had, I had to make a choice and I chose self-employment. And I would consider that um, a sensible uh, route into doing this and probably the only proper route, to be honest. Um, so, Paul, how about you? Yeah, it, it was kind of similar, really. I, I was in full-time employment for a production company and uh, I was doing audio stuff, some audio posts, some radio commercials, 
and um, a few other little bits. And through working there, I kind of established connections with various different video editors and some people who were producing content for other organizations. And um, I think the first time, I can't remember what the job was, but I know that one of the video editors who had worked for this business eventually went and worked somewhere else and then contacted me and said, oh, we're doing this project. Uh, we need someone to do the sound on it. Can you do it? And so I did that. And then it kind of took its own course from there. But over the course, it, it wasn't a quick process. You know, mm -hmm. this took years of doing jobs, establishing relationships with people. And most of it, to be honest, spread through word of mouth. So at no point did I advertise or actively try and seek the work out. It just, for me, it just kind of happened through mm -hmm. doing enough jobs and making people sufficiently happy that they wanted to use me again. Yeah, yeah. And I would agree. I've I've had the majority of my, in fact, all of my clients so far have been through through word of mouth, and I'm not uh, necessarily proud of that fact um, because I do think that advertising and putting yourself out there is very important as well. But um, there's definitely something to be said about word uh, word of mouth, and it can maintain you uh, absolutely. Um, my experience was I I worked um, sort of odd jobs in web design um, and those sort of things, um, and then I saw an advert. This was after I'd just studied at uh, Point blank and I'd done a, a sound engineering uh, course um, I saw an advert for a studio which was a, um, a music sort of artist development studio in London uh, and I went there I got the job and it was very very low paid um, but uh, because I was keen and I didn't really have enough experience working in you know in a studio environment with with real you know artists so I thought I'll take it I was driving I was doing 10 10 plus hour days with no break driving yeah. home again uh, it was really really crazy but there was something that was fueling me which was I love this and I really want to do this would I do it now? Absolutely not. When I think about how I, f how I would feel doing that now, I would hate it and I would absolutely say no. But at the beginning, it was essential. And I still had that drive at the beginning as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got into that. And then obviously, I, I started building up a repertoire as well and um, just gaining my own clients. And when I had enough clients of my own, I could finally say I can't go to this job. And this was a, a couple of years later. So I was working at this job. Uh, for two years for very, very low um, amount of money, as well as doing odd jobs on the side. I was lucky because my um, apartment isn't too expensive and I was living with a partner at the time. So we were sort of sharing the bills, not spending very much. And I just thought, you know, I really want to just hone in and really focus on um, making this work, which um, finally I did. But it, was, it wasn't easy at all. No, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. And uh, I think it, it, it really is only the people who are willing to, I don't, you know, don't want to use catchphrases, but go the mm. extra mile, as it were, in mm. terms of putting the effort in, especially in those early stages, in establishing yourself, you know, it does take serious effort. And I think there can be no sort of, um, no one can kid themselves in, into no. thinking it's, it's any other way. You can get, don't, the, the, the only people making money out of these kind of, boo-ha, rah-rah, uh, you can be a mega entrepreneur next week are the people teaching them, not the people going on them. Uh, th that's how they make their living is to tell you how wonderful your life is going to be if you follow their four-step plan to self-employment and actually the only person that ends up with money at the end of that session is, is them yeah. charging you $500 to, t to tell you all that kind of bullshit. The truth is it's really, really hard. Can I say, there's mm -hmm. a couple of things I would say uh, to those who are listening to this, 
the 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 best time to do it is when you have no ties and no commitments. So you've got no partner, no kids, mm-hmm. uh, probably you haven't got a mortgage and all the kind of things, and you can afford to screw up. You can basically, if you're living at home, it's even better. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good time to start. So that's if you're going to choose to do it, do it then. But there are some people listening to this who are like in the middle of their lives, they're out of work, and this might be a necessity thing. And that's a totally different proposition then. But again, you could jump out of the frying pan into the fire by saying, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start a business and start doing some mixing from home. Trust me, there's a zillion people doing that. There's a zillion people doing post. Uh, it, 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 it's really hard. And in the early days, it's hard to command the kind of money that you really need to command because you've mm-hmm. got no track record. Uh, now, I'm lucky. Oh, no, I won't say I'm lucky. I, I, I've worked incredibly hard. Uh, Paul has too, and I'm sure you this year. So I mm. now am in this position where A, I can turn down work, which in the early days you can't. You have to take almost everything that's given to you. And B, I can set a price and not have to negotiate about it. In fact, work isn't my problem anymore. It's actually, I, I do turn away quite a lot of work because I'm so busy. And there's an article coming up on the blog. Probably it might be on the blog by the time this this is out or it might be on the blog after this is out. But it's three reasons you should turn down work, which yeah, sounds yeah. mad. Mm. But but I do turn down jobs if A, I'm too busy and it will compromise all my other good work, or B, I'm not specialist enough to do it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a fool of myself and ruin the job and ruin my reputation. Uh, or C, the chemistry's not there. And sometimes you just don't work with some people because you get in the room with them and uh, as a singer or a, 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 a TV a film producer or a, a director of a movie, and you just hate each other. And that's just chemistry. Mm. Uh, so also to do to do your best work and that's what we want to be doing you need number one the time in order to have the time to do it you need the money so either yep. you ask the client for um what you deserve and what you need to do a good job yeah or you don't take the work or you have um another source of income whether that's living with your parents or you have a part-time job something that yep. keeps you stable so that you can actually focus and spend the time doing a really really good job because otherwise you're not going to progress if you keep taking on jobs and then having to do for very little money and then just having to do um sort of crappy crappy work because they want it really fast it's not enough money you're not going to progress um that's why I'm really hot. I don't know about Paul. Sorry, I'm just going to say I'm really hot on not taking, never doing free jobs. Now, if a client comes That's to true. me, if, if I've got an existing client and they're in a hole and they spend a lot of money with me, of course I'll do it for them. But anybody, free jobs are usually the worst jobs you get because the, the people the, the people who want work done for free are usually more demanding than the people who want to pay you to do it. Uh, and two, you make no money out of it. It's 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 uh, it just avoid it like the plague and people go well it's my way of getting in and I'll get some credibility I'll be able to put in my credits that doesn't pay that listen your bank or your landlord is not going to give a rat's ass about your credits ever wondered what it's like to mix an entire album for Kanye or layering vocals for Chris Brown join your hosts Cash and G every fortnight as we sit down with some of your favorite artists producers and engineers to talk everything music brought to you by Avid Pro Tools that sounds great. And if you want to have sort of develop a showreel or develop, you know, material to show, then um, those free jobs, the only time I would do a free job is if someone is incredible and I really wanted to work with them and I needed um, something to show as well. You know, there, I wouldn't do it then. I really wouldn't you, you do it wouldn't then. Do it Beyonce, then. If Beyonce no. called me tomorrow and said, will you work for free? The answer would be no. And she wouldn't oh, call yeah. me anyway. But do you know what I mean? Because listen trust me that's work you can't be making that's a that's a time in your day or if it's a project like that could be a month where you don't make any money 
Mm. Well, if it's Beyonce, she can afford it as well. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah you would yeah. expect that she'd have sufficient funds <laughs> yeah. to, to pay yeah. for it. I, it was a, probably a poor example. Cause, but you know my point. The point I'm making no, is that I won't work for yeah. anybody for free. Because it undermines my quality. It undermines my reputation as well. There was, in fact, the, I'll, 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 I'll row back on that because a guy called me three or four months ago. He said, I've got this idea. And he'd been spending two years on it. Really lovely guy. And he said, and, and he was introduced to me by another client. And I had a chat with him. And I knew he couldn't afford to use me, but I could help him. So I said to him, I'll work for you pro bono, which is what lawyers say, that's free. That's for free, for 90 days. And if I can turn around your business, then you can start paying me. How about that for a deal? And he said, yeah, of course, that's great. But I made that choice. He didn't ask me. But I can afford to do it. You can't give to charity until you're making money yourself. Let me put it like that. Mm. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I just I wanted to address the so the initial um, question from the listener was actually how to get into a post, and I know that you work in that industry a lot, Paul. So, do you have any tips um, for the listener that wants to get into post, and um, what what are the steps that you took or that you would advise people to take? Well, I think getting into it is is one of the hardest things, really, and. Um, in my experience, it's largely about contacts, establishing contacts yep. with people who are working industry professionals. Mm -hmm. And um, I can use an example of um, some, I mean, I do some teaching and some of my students um, last year were in the same boat, you know, aiming to get into the industry. They'd done some stuff just as sort of demo content, but nothing serious. And um, I suggested that they go to... Um, a local film festival which was screening a lot of different films which had been produced by various people from around the whole country, really. And um, they went to this and watched some of the films and they observed that whilst the visuals were reasonably good, the sound was lacking and in some cases it was terrible. Mm. Um, so having done that, they had the idea of contacting each individual filmmaker, you know, to... Uh, ask them, you know, would you like to use me for some work in the future? I said, well, rather than just contacting all the individual people who made 50 different films, you know, contact the person who runs the film festival and get them to message them and say, you know, we are yeah. um, people idea. who are offering these services. And so the organizer of the film festival sent out an email to everybody and they got six jobs out of it. Um, now, not all of those were paid, Four of them were paid, but the ones which they did get, you know, some money for was well worth doing. And it was, um, they actually did some really good work and that established uh, them with that particular client or those clients, you know, for future work. And I know that they're still working with a couple of them today. That's just one approach. And I think that's a very good approach, actually. Can I say something that some listeners will hate me saying about getting into post? Go for mm. it. To do sound in post, there's the number one thing you've got to do. And that's learn Pro Tools. Yeah. Because it's, it, it, the whole post industry is run on Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. And you can spend the rest of your life waxing about how wonderful Logic is or Reaper or any of those. And I know a mate that made a film and he used Reaper to do the sound. That's fine. You can say that for the rest of your life. But 99.9% .9 of the stuff out there, whether it's TV or movies, is done in Pro Tools. And yeah. it's as simple yeah. as that. I mean, I, I freelance at a few different places and um, it's all just Pro Tools and, you know, you turn up and they presume that you can use the software and then it's it's just, okay, right, let's get it loaded up, let's get this yeah. session underway, uh, no questions about it, you know, and uh, learning it involves being proficient and being quick. Fly around it, um, you've got to be a ninja. Yeah, yeah. yeah you've, you've got to spend the time just 
refining your methods and shortcuts and just getting things done quickly. It needs to be, you need to be good enough so that the software is almost transparent to you in the sense that it doesn't in any way impede or hinder the work. You're just doing the work and uh, it's efficient, quick. And uh, the software sh shouldn't be a feature of it. It's just a tool and a method for achieving, you know, the outcome that you're striving to accomplish. Yeah, and what absolutely. I would say as well is when you're f when you're first into it, I, I ran a couple of post houses in Soho, and one of them we had a Pro Tools room where we had a we had a we had a, a mixed guy and an assistant. That assistant did didn't do any jobs on his own. I think for at, the, at least the first year. He'd just set mm. the mics up in the room for the voiceover sessions or he'd set this up or he'd get coffee and he'd sit in hundreds and hundreds of sessions and then one that slowly, I think we did a lot, we used to do all the, uh, I don't know if you're, what, uh, those who listen in the UK, there's a show called The One Show, it's a BBC show and we used to make uh, we used to make all the little video. There's like in, there's like little kind of segments in the one show that they've got people like uh, Dom, the man who who finds bad builders and and a load of other people, and and they'd come in and do their voiceover sessions. And I think he started doing those eventually, uh, just making sure that he recorded those sessions. And so it's really when you first get into this, don't expect to walk into Warner Brothers and start mixing the next big blockbuster. It really is bottom rung stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that because people are trusting you with really, really important projects that have not enough budget, not enough time. So they haven't got time to mess around. So you've got to walk in, sit down, shut up and do the job mm. quick. So that's interesting. So what kind of personality traits and what kind of uh, work ethic are these people looking for? And how do you stand out, um, you know, above the, the crowd of people that are trying to get those kind of jobs? Because it's very different from what I do, for example, which is um, working for myself, working as a producer and music. I can kind of be however I want to be. I'm not necessarily navigating a studio environment with uh, people above me and a hierarchy as well. So, um, yeah, do you both have any tips? Yeah, um, I, I think you, you've got to try and remain just down to earth and personable mm -hmm. you know the, the technical skills are, are important and being able to do it to a high standard is is really imp important too but you can learn that but just the, there's kind of a rule that <laughs> don't be a dick is the rule really <laughs> yeah most of the time you just you just shut up don't have an opinion most of the time either it's it's, it's if you're in the middle of a, a an edit for let's say a tv show and the director's in the room and uh, don't start telling him what's wrong with the show <laughs> Just that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff you'll get into trouble. You just won't get the work again. It really is sit down, shut up, and mix. Mm. Now, that's when it. you get when you get when you get really up the rung, and you you're like one of the top sound guys, or one of the top dubbing mixers, or whatever it is, then you can start having an opinion. But that's a lot. That's a long way down the road. And even those don't have an opinion most of the time. Meet most of those top people, and they don't they don't say a word. They just get on with yep. their job. And I think you've you've got to judge it on on a session by session basis as to how much intervention you should really have verbally. Sometimes yeah. the client might be really um, they might have a strong idea of what they want to do and they are telling you what to do and you just go along with it. You know, uh, other times you might get a sense that they're perhaps newer to this kind of thing or perhaps it's one of the first projects. In which case you can guide them a little bit more. Yeah, but. You know, you have to remember that you're there to help them achieve something. And if you can make someone look good by producing some content which reflects well on them, then that's that's the biggest thing you can do, really. The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? 
With Source Connect Now, you can. Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. It's a service industry, to be honest. It really is. It, it really is that somebody's coming in, they have a project to deliver, as I, as I say. Uh, because sound is also bottom of the food chain, there's usually either, either almost zero budget or not enough budget. So you've got to often work miracles for them to get them... Yeah, and I know so many guys I worked with in Soho in London, they went the extra mile again and again because... They, and talking about working for free earlier, they would they would put extra hours in just to make sure that it was right mm. uh, and, and stuff like that. So it really is mm. pulled right. The technical stuff is important. You have got to know your chops. But at the same time, you've also got to really be with the kind of people they want to be around because they're sat in a room with you for hours and days and weeks doing projects. And I know, exactly. a, guy, I know a guy that from Soho is a very small place, to be honest. This industry is a small place. Just I'll finish with this. And I know a guy who's such a dick in the industry <laughs> that you can say something and they go, oh, is it so-and-so? And you go, yep. And it's because their name goes before them of being such an unreasonable person to be around. And that don't take long for you to stop working. So actually it's about things like being reliable, not being the life and soul of the party, because there are some industries where actually being funny, making especially with, with my line of work, actually I make an effort to be friendly and funny and make the client feel at ease. But it's very different. I'm, you know, I'm trying to um, create a certain atmosphere, whereas if you're an assistant or you're working in that kind of environment, you actually want to be sort of keep your head down, be quiet, don't necessarily make a big deal of the fact that you're there right it's some yeah but i think it really does depend though on on who the person is that yeah. you're working with you, you have to gauge it you know if they're pretty relaxed and chill then they're quite chatty and conversational then you can be you know you can kind of reflect that back to them so it, but if they're quite stern and serious and you know aren't really on a time scale of getting stuff done then you have to do that as well so you have to be somewhat adaptive to how they like to work when I was in when I was in one of the post houses, one of the post houses I worked in was a commercial post house. What we mean by a commercial post house is we made TV commercials all day uh, for, for most of the big advertising agencies. Uh, this is how it went: so they'd book you, and they'd come in for the session. Uh, you'd, uh, so I, I was I was often the, the, the in-house producer for the session, and then there was somebody in the chair doing the sound. So the client would come in. There's usually be about three or four of them all carrying their their, their, their crap, sometimes half a bike as well because they'd rode to the place. Uh, the first thing they'd ask you is the Wi-Fi password. Uh, then they'd ask you where the menus are so they could figure out what they're going to have for lunch. Uh, and then you were just navigating with these people all day uh, and, and, and getting them working well with your editor uh, or your mixer or whoever it was. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, there were some you could have a laugh with, but but some of them you really just had to shut up and let them, let them, and and sometimes say how wonderful something was that you didn't think was any good. Mm. <laughs> Politics, that's another. It is. One it really is a political lots. game. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. 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 Because it's their baby. They think it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Yeah. I know some very talented people, but they have um, an inability to. Um, to do politics well, you know, they'll they'll say what they think and, you know, they're very sort of, oh, this is wrong, you need to do it like this. And I don't think that some people love them because they feel like they're being authentic, but a lot of people, it gets their backs up, you know, so you have to be really careful with that sort of thing. 
Um, but in terms of freelancing, um, what are some things that people need to bear in mind when you know thinking about going into starting a, um, a freelancing kind of job? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is you know being okay with not having sick leave or holiday leave, um, needing to be okay. Like you say, Ross, your wife would wouldn't want to do this because um, you have to be okay with things being relatively unstable. Paul was actually saying to me that he has floods of work, so he's got loads and loads of you know jobs at once, and yeah. then perhaps it kind of slows down. So it's not completely stable in that way yeah I yeah don't, yeah i don't uh, that somebody once said an entrepreneur is somebody who jumps up jumps off a cliff and builds an airplane on the way down mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of thing is that if you want stability uh, and a nine-to-five job self-employment isn't for you don't do it this. really yeah. is different every day is different and you can guarantee you'll have quiet periods so i've got a quiet period at the moment and we haven't talked about it yet but there's a really important thing about money we'll talk about in a while but i've got a quiet period at the moment but it will pick up again and you kind of when you've been doing it for 14 years you get used to that rhythm but some people it would freak them out if they had no work for a month mm, it's scary it is scary yeah and then on the flip side um as as you mentioned Ashay, the uh, work sometimes comes in in floods and then you're thinking, how am I going to do all this stuff in the time mm-hmm. I have? You know, and you go through a period of days or weeks where you're just working excessive hours trying to get through all these projects. Mm. Yeah, you're doing all of January's work in January and January and February's work in February. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> yeah. that's what self-employment is like. It really yeah. is like three buses. They come along at the same time. Uh, and you have to really figure out how you're going to manage that. And that's why in that article I read that sometimes you have to turn work away, which is, yes. sounds like a terrible thing to say. You think that's insane, but sometimes you just haven't got the time. And so what are some of the factors that would um, make you turn a job away? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm inter- I, I have an interesting thing these days because I've worked out that the best, uh, that the, the, we think that, we cho- that clients choose us, but I kind of choose my clients because mm. I kind of feel, I feel like I'm, I kind of load the deck. And what I mean by that is I find the good work to do and stuff that I'm interested in rather than the work that I know isn't going to work out very well because everything's going in my portfolio. Everything I'm doing is is a piece of work that I've done. And if I, if I do work that's a failure or bad, uh, not because of anything I've done, but just because of the nature of the project, then that that's a bad thing to have on your portfolio. Absolutely. So I, I, I have a questionnaire I send out to clients. So the first thing I do is a 30-minute call with a client to find out what they want to do and uh, talk about the project. And then I send them a questionnaire, seven questions. You couldn't use it because it's totally different for, for whatever everybody is. And then I ask them to give me as verbose an answer for each question as possible. What I mean by that is as, as detailed an answer as possible. Then from that questionnaire, I determine whether it's something I can do. Uh, ask them things like budget. There's the thing mm. most self-employed people don't want to talk about is ask people how budget. much budget they've got, which is a bit of a silly question to ask at the end of the project. So if they come to me and say, I want you to do a project that's, let's say, going to take, take cost five grand to do, and they want to do it for a grand, that's an easy easy job to turn down. Uh, so I ask them the questionnaire, I get the questionnaire back, and then I assess it based on that questionnaire. Then I use my gut a bit as well about whether I can work with that person or not. And I've ignored that t- so many times and regretted it every Turns time. Turns bad, yeah. Because I've taken on a job that I should never have done. Yeah, I often have a, a kind of quick Zoom call to kind of gauge 
what type of person I'm dealing with, what they want as well. And also just have a listen and whether it's something I'm excited about, because if I'm not excited about uh, doing something, I don't want to do a terrible job because like you yep. say, Russ, it's, it's really bad for your sort of, um, for everything if you if you do a bad job. And um, word of mouth gets round as well and, and people can talk badly about you if you don't do a good job. But another thing is this kind of bartering thing. Um, if when Once you set your price and you know that that's the price that you deserve and that there's something that you can actually do a good job with if they start bartering and then trying to sort of um, say oh I can't do that price could you do lower that is immediately I say okay this, this person is out yeah, you know, from experience um, because it's going to be a nightmare I'm going to be working like crazy they're going to be really picky about everything I'll end up spending way too much time um, and for not enough money as well so um, just on, on that note, on that point, um, I think sometimes it's also worth stipulating at the, at the beginning exactly what they are getting for that money. Yeah. Obviously, there's the completion of the project, but does that include revisions? Does that include a, a, two weeks of going back and forth, messing around, making changes, or is it just once it's done, it's done? You know, um, I think you have to make sure that they don't take advantage of the kind of time and the quote that you've given them in to complete that job, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's an important point. And I know um, quite a lot of mixers, actually, because obviously mixing is, is, is where you get so many revisions often. Um, they say, you know, um, revisions are free up until... Uh, I don't know, three or four revisions, and then you have to pay. Yeah, once we agree on something, there's a contract. Yeah. It's, na it's nailed to the floor, and I've learned that, listen, everything me and Paul are talking about today, and trust me, is because we didn't do it once and got burnt. I can guarantee that. I bet Paul will agree with that, is at some point in our lives, we didn't get a contract, and then we ended up in, a, in an endless job that never stopped. And yeah. then, uh, or, or we didn't do Everything I'm saying today is so people can learn from the stupid mistakes I've made in the past. Mm. Every piece of advice is based upon me failing at some point at all the things we're talking about today. I didn't grow up wise one day. I, wisdom is making good judgments and you make good judgments because you once made bad ones. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than having to sign an agreement. Things like songwriting splits as well, um, who, you know, credits, things like that are really important to get signed and agreed upon before you start working because that is a nightmare to try and negotiate after, especially if a label's involved as well. You know, then it can get quite nasty. Um, so, yeah, absolutely really important. In in very rare circumstances, you you might need to, just like an employer can fire a, a member of staff, you can, as a freelancer, essentially fire Your client. Um, a client. Mm. Yeah, if they are overly problematic or argumentative, or you know they are causing, un, un, you know, unreasonable difficulty to you, then you can. You've got the right to say we're done. Yeah, you know, you don't need to start keep on working with them. You're not uh, entirely under their control. Um, they've employed you to to do the job and if you're doing the job but they're being you know unreasonable or excessive in their demands then yeah you can drop them absolutely yeah and we i'm sure we've all we've all had to drop clients because of yeah uh, we, difficult clients we had uh, yeah sorry to interrupt um 
I had that when I was working for a production company. The production company had a, a major client who was a, a major UK retailer, and uh, we started producing some video content for them, and we, it was all going well. But the person we were dealing with was, you know, a real—I don't want to swear again—but they were a problem in a big way. Mm. You know, they're t- talking to us in a condescending way, making you know ridiculous demands about when things could get done given that we'd only filmed something that day they wanted you know an approval video the next morning and so we actually walked out and that's one of the only jobs we ever abandoned mid-flow i don't blame you you know and and we were not um upset about it apart from being irritated with the client We, we were pleased that we made that decision ultimately i had one about a year and a half ago where a client came gave me the spec for the project uh, it became very clear quite quickly, even though we went through all the processes I've just talked to you about, that things weren't as they seem and I wasn't getting the feedback from the client that I needed. I kept mm. raising these issues with the client and saying, there's a problem here, we can't make this video. It was, it was a product video because there's some issues with the audio from the actual product uh, and nobody was responding to me. Uh, so... In the end, I I think it was a Friday. It was a Friday night. I said, I'm sorry. I don't think we can deliver on time for your deadline, given that you're not able to answer these questions meaningfully, uh, to which they said, okay, let's call it call it a day, uh, mm-hmm. which was great for me. But what, what wasn't great for me, then about half an hour later, one of the people on the project started phoning me on my mobile phone at 7 o'clock on a Friday night uh, because they needed something for the project. And decided they now now it was their problem. Everything was really had to happen really fast, uh, and it got really nasty. I had some person screaming down me at the phone from California on a Friday night, uh, telling me all sorts of stuff. It's quite traumatizing actually, and I've oh, got God. big I've got big shoulders. Yeah, but they were they were pretty nasty and vile, and it was a really big brand as well. And I would never work for them again. They gaslighted me. I remember phoning Julian and he said, Russ, you think it's all about you and this was all about them. He said, move away. Just just don't think about it ever again. And I didn't. I'll probably never work for them again and I'm really happy about that. Well, good. You, um, that was a weight off your shoulders. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I had a client a couple of years ago that just wanted to micromanage everything and they were quite rude and, and they wanted to sort of produce the track with me without actually knowing what they were doing doing. so um that was quite difficult and it it sort of put me into a box and i couldn't really do anything and it was too much hassle it was more hassle than it's worth so um i just sort of fired them mid-project to be honest gave them their money back and it felt amazing i bet it did yeah Yeah. i bet it did yeah but um yeah so yeah great well that was an interesting uh chat um but let's um why don't we move on to find of the week so um russ what is your find of the week my find of the week is an incredible show, and it should be anyway, because it's got Peter Capaldi, who was in the thick of it and was Doctor Who for a season or two, oh, cool. and Cush Jumbo, who was in The Good Fight and, and a few other things. She's an amazing actor. Uh, and it's a show on Apple TV called Criminal Record. It's about a aging copper who's put some guy in prison, but Cush Jumbo plays the young copper who thinks that it's an unsafe conviction, and it's, this, it's how she's now trying to deal with that and how he's pushing back against it. It is really incredible. It's some of the best TV I've watched for a long time because uh, Peter Cabaldi is just an amazing actor anyway. It's uh, it's gritty, it's British, it's, ba- it, it's based in East London. It's absolutely 
jaw-dropping TV. It's the kind of nice. it's the kind of TV you watch where every episode you think that the air's been sucked out of the room. It's that oh, really? Stressful. Is it that good? Yeah, wow. It's good. Yeah, watch it. It's incredible. Uh, and I won't give any of the game away, but I think episode four comes through, or four comes this week, but it's Apple TV, criminal record. It's incredible. Nice. Oh, I'll check that out. I'll definitely yeah. check that out. Um, Paul, what's your find of the week? Uh, so my find of the week is a find of the day really because I, I only really saw this well yesterday evening um this is uh fios digital um radio mics from a company called deity deity microphones and um, someone was showing me these yesterday and uh they're essentially um lav mics love uh, radio mics oh, yeah. uh, with a belt pack transmitter and a dual uh, channel receiver and um they're really good, mm. and they're not overly expensive. They're about eleven hundred. They're not expensive, sorry. are they? No, they're not. It's eleven hundred pounds for. I don't know what the US dollar price is, but eleven hundred GB pounds for two transmitters, uh, dual band receiver. It, it broadcasts it digitally, so there's no interference or oh, any cool. um, issues with you know crosstalk between adjacent sort of frequency bands or anything like that and you can as well as obviously receiving the signal you've got the option of recording it locally to an sd card so in the event of a dropout or a loss of signal you've got that backup and uh the great the quality of them is excellent for the price nice, it's yeah. about equivalent to for anyone who's listening who might be familiar with the sennheiser ew100 radio mics it's similar in price to that but just better in every respect so i'm um, considering investing in some of these so that's my find of the week nice. can i have a second actually because he's built up gear and it is a podcast about gear the other the other thing is the very quickly just to say check out the blog because yesterday heritage audio released these new audio interfaces which have uh which have a, a sort of knee front end on them it's got oh a, i've got seen those 1073 they front cool. end they're absolutely fabulous they yeah. are absolutely really original really clever uh, brilliant. So that's all I'm going to say. The they're really compact slight, as well, yeah, sort of like small they're desktop. Incredible, but they. This isn't. This is like a real 1073 on the front end. It's not going through some modelling. It really is that you you get a proper 1073. The only thing that made me raise my eyes re- on it is this plugins with a combined street value, and we put in our article called the Drug Enforcement Agency. <laughs> <laughs> combined street. I think the street price. Yeah, yeah street value. Yeah, street Do you value. know the price of these? I, th- I think they were quite good. Uh, I, I I don't know the the uh, apparently apparently they're up on the sort of sales sides, but I think they're 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 sub they're sub a thousand, which is great. Yeah, but they are they are beautiful. They, they are, are they're gorgeous. I, yeah, I'd put my hand in my pocket and buy one. Oh, me too. Yeah, it looks like I'm looking at the picture of it. It does look very good, actually. Yeah, very Shea, what's your find of the week? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Mine is a very simple one, but it's, it's sort of on the topic of our discussion today. It's basically um, all you need to know about the music business by Donald Passman. I'm sure uh, a lot of us have a copy um, at home. I, I do as well. And so there's the latest version, which the, is the 11th edition, I believe. And they include things like um, TikTok, AI. And basically, it's just an industry Bible type of thing. You can sort of dip in and out. And if there's anything legal um, about royalties, about contracts, labels, all that sort of thing that you need to know, you can just pick up that um, book and it will explain everything to you. So um, it's a very handy thing to have um, if you're getting into music or if you're working in music anyway, Great. that's my find of the week. That's a useful resource. If I can summarise what we've said today, do your homework, don't leave your job before you know how much you need to make and how you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
ask everybody that matters before you make that decision. I asked Anna before I went self-employed and she gave me permission to do it because we shared a house together. And uh, yeah. And she said she was going to, yeah, she'd be there for me and, and pick up the slack financially if we needed it, which is, that's what you've got to, you've got to have people like that watching your back. Yeah, yeah. It's very lucky if you if you have that. And if you if you don't have people watching your back, then make sure that you've got a, a stable income already from a sort of day job. Um, Get some F off money. It's actually, I, I won't swear money. today. Be, yeah, it's called F off money. It's three, <laughs> three months of of income, basically, yeah. in the bank. Don't, yeah. If you can do it, basically, it, it, I think they call it, you know, the, the escape money that people have in bags when they run away from a drug dealer or something. It's like, it's three months worth of money. So, mm. and I've got that in the bank all the time, even now. I was going to say that's a really important thing. As a freelancer, mm. always have some money yeah. apart for when there might be a sort of slow Slow, slow stage or you, you get an unexpected letter from the tax man yeah <laughs> yeah i think you, you've got to kind of prepare for the worst eventuality yes. that you hope won't happen but just in case it does yeah have the money there yeah because yeah, it will definitely. give you peace of mind and you can carry yeah. on working without um freaking out well that's all we have time for this week thank you to russ and thank you to paul and we'll be back next week with another edition of the production expert podcast <laughs> <laughs>